episode was recorded prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome to part one, season three, episode seven. Yes, my please, Nima. Share your okay. poopy moments. So one of my many poopy moments, okay, was um, going to travel to Saudi Arabia. I realised that I couldn't find my black robe, you know, yeah. the thing you have yeah. to wear. Yeah. Looked everywhere for it. And as luck would have it, the woman who lives on the corner where I used to live uh, was uh, an Irish woman married to a Saudi, of course. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah no. so I knocked on the door and I begged, please give me your bag, it's called our And she gave me one of hers and I had to pack. I used to, in my previous life, like um, have this system where I would go home two hours before any given flight, throw things into a case and then leg it to the airport and get on the airplane by the skin of my teeth because oh, I knew wow. exactly which gate, which thing, which whatever, just to get through. However, all these new extra security things changed that a bit. So my point is that I'm a late packer. Got that buyer, fine. That evening I was flying, so I flew in. You have to put that buyer on as the plane lands, right? So yeah. you put it on and you walk out the airplane and you walk through and you walk into what in theory should be an immensely plush place. It isn't. This is only Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia, the oil-rich yes, uh, kingdom. Yeah. Really retro would be a oh, really? kind of word. Oh, yeah, okay. It's not retro, it's just not maintained and right. very old. There aren't enough ways to get down to where passport control is safely. So it's like crowd management, escalator, everybody's in it. Oh. Like, really, like, really. And then you've got this abaya, which is too long for me, and it got caught oh. in the oh my side bit. And we are doom, 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 one a person in front of the There's no space, right? So I think, oh, shit. Uh, and so I get to the bottom and I, I tug, 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 because of course the people behind me, there was no space. They were, they were going to start landing Yeah. Oh I God. get that. Through that, right? Yeah. So it's bloody Abaya. The point is that Abaya is part of this, very important, yeah? Yeah. I get through passport control, and they are, there's a welcoming, you know, people who I can't find, but I find the car, I get in the car, I've got by this stage four hours sleep if I'm lucky. The guy who's supposed to welcome me then calls me, makes the car turn round to go and pick him up, and so I have three hours sleep, you know, I'm calculated yeah, on. Yeah. Get to the hotel. This is, um, Wadid Bantalal's hotel, right? Four Seasons. Hurrah! Mm -hmm. They have an executive floor at the very top for women. Oh! Mm -hmm. Which has its own reception and all that stuff. So I get whisked up and I get to my room. Wow. And I've got what, two and a half hours sleep if I'm lucky. I couldn't switch the lights off because it's a very fancy room. Oh! And nobody from reception downstairs in the proper hotel lobby knows how to do it either because they've never been oh up to the I don't gosh. think so, yeah, I'm getting my sleep time. Anyway, eventually get to sleep, wake up, bing, you know, whatever o'clock, horrible o'clock, get dressed, walk out, realise I left the key in the room because I hear the door behind me. And I think that's okay, that's okay, I don't need that key until this evening. I just need to get out. I've got a meeting starting. Guess what? You left your purse. I left my bloody abaya in the oh, bloody room. No. It's the point. <laughs> so like, so like, like it's all <laughs> And so I'm in this executive floor on my own. I'm the only one oh there. My God. There's nobody at reception. A person shows up at reception, um, a male on the women's floor. I mean, anyway. And uh, he's got white socks on. So I think, are you really a receptionist? Or are you some sort of yeah. secret police thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have got abaya. And, oh, so, and then he tells me, don't worry. 
we will we will talk to that. And I wait, and I wait a very long time, and the meeting has started, and it's downstairs. Oh and I can't God. go downstairs because I've got that bone. Anyway, in the end, I get a beautiful, tall, beautiful man who walks out of the elevator, holding his arms outstretched like a superman. You know what I mean? And he's, where he's holding a collection for me to choose from. A collection of a bones. <laughs> so I take one, I get in the elevator, go down, I get to the lobby. None of the women are wearing her bias. Oh. <laughs> After all that. Oh, sorry, that was a very long-winded story. But it's like, seriously, it's causing me to kill me. Begging your Irish neighbour. Hello, yes, yes. The bloody thing really kills me on the escalator thing. And then I leave it, and then I wait, and, I'm, and of course, uh, it's as if I'm late, you know? Yes, I mean, I'm late because yeah. I'm not in the meeting, but I'm actually not late because I'm... Yeah. Just not present. Wait, you had a great story, I'm sure, you I waited all this time for this. Yeah. I just feel like I'm going to keep it on anyway. I can say something fun, breaking it. Well, actually, the next thing that happened was this. This was in Walid Muntala's hotel, and the point about him is that he is uh, somebody who advocates for... Well, I mean, yeah, he's got women who work for him and so on. Whether or not there is equality is a different thing altogether, but within the confines of his hotel and his workspace, Women exist alongside men, and they don't wear their eyes and all that sort of thing. Oh, wow, that's one really? too. This event, it was a huge thing, many, many, many people, people flown in and so on. And I would say things like, um, does anybody have questions from the audience? Somebody walked on stage and gave me a piece of paper, and it said, ask the women if they have a question. <laughs> and okay. I'm thinking, I've just asked everyone if they, anyone, yeah. no, does anybody have a question? And then I said uh, something like, uh, are there any women in the room? You know, because you can't really see when you're up there. Yeah. And, um, and I could see a woman in the front row. So I thought, there are women in the room. They're present. Does anybody have a gun? Do, do the women have a gun? And I rattled on. And then again, 10, 15 minutes. So the same guy walks up, gives me another piece of paper. Ask the women if they have any questions. Oh, anyway, so I discovered after the event that the women were actually in a cubicle so oh. if you to look across, I'm on stage, I'm looking across the heads of people, right? To my left, cornered off, was a, were walls, temporary walls, and there was a huge screen, like that size, that I could see. And apparently that was me, I was being broadcast oh. to the women who were in the enclosure. Okay. I don't know if they chose to be there or if they were just put there. And there was a delay on the microphone. <laughs> so when I was speaking, saying, do they have any questions? They had questions, but that lull, that, the, the, those few seconds, I just assumed nobody had a question. So I would go on to the next thing. Right. There were women and they were in there. Blah, blah, blah. There you go. Oh, my why? God. Women why? in the room. Yeah. But why I didn't know. a separate area, though? Do you know why if there was people in the audience, why they would have a separate space then? For well, women? as far as I'm concerned, I personally believe in choice. So I believe some people would choose to be in a separated area if that's what is, is more comfortable mm -hmm. for them. Because, you know, Saudi Arabia is fascinating, but you've got so many generational, social issues. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff. So give them the choice. Fine. One, yes. if I'm not mistaken, I think this is a prerequisite as well, mm. uh, that you have that okay. available. But there was, because again, it is the William Montalor property and so on, you did have the option of not having to be in that. So you had the option of being okay, in the right. room. And really, the icing on the cake is this. So I got back, right? Um, and months later, I get this package through the post, and it's a beautiful work of art from a very well-known artist, a Saudi artist. And it's a thank you. Thank you for taking part in this thing. The work of art is a woman in a 
Abaya. <laughs> <laughs> but no features on the face, and she sort of is a bit like the Virgin Mary, you know, yeah. just head a bit down, the hands across, clasped, very sort of cross-religious type, you know, imagery. Mm. But it, so I thought, hmm, that could be read in so many ways. Yeah. This is the way it's supposed to be, or this is the way women can be, or this yeah. is where we are, or that's fine. But the plaque, they had a plaque, which unfortunately they stuck on the thing at the bottom of it, because I would have liked it not to be on the painting. Yeah. But anyway, it said, to thank Ms. Nima, blah, 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 for his participation. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the whole it's like triple whammy, is that, or something. So not only was the whole thing, blah, blah. But then I get to work about, which is of a woman, but a woman who has no face and who's covered <laughs> and is thanking me for his part. <laughs> so I don't know how to take that. There you go. I can stop talking. I, I oh, think you should just let it go. Don't take it. Don't take it. Just let it go. Shake it off. Shake it off. So Lisa, what's your pupil moment? So when I moved to London first, I tend to do everything a bit, we've, we've established that. I fall a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I seem to. I mean, I, I didn't think I did until I started talking about my poopy moments a lot. And actually, they normally um, revolve around me injuring myself in, in some manner. So I moved to London, very excited about being here. And um, was coming out of the airport. I think I was in London about five weeks at the time. Driving out of the airport, I'd been home for my goddaughter's christening. I got caught in a scam car accident where they literally stopped in the middle of the motorway. Um, in the middle of the 50 miles an hour, I just literally come out of the airport down the ramp and the car in front of me stopped, completely dead in the middle of the road. So I went straight into the back of the car, car twisted around, airbags exploded, I was sideways, the car was sideways in the middle of the road, everyone's going around me, like nobody was stopping, I was like, oh my god. And <laughs> um, I was in the UK, oh, I just literally come out of Heathrow, Heathrow Airport, yeah, I'd literally come down off the ramp onto the the motorway uh, and this happened and the other car that I hit had gone off to the side so I when the kind of smoke settled in I was just through there but it's quite like looking back now I find it quite entertaining because despite the fact I was in the middle of the road with cars going on both sides of me I just kept looking at my arms because one arm looked like somebody had taken a knife and just like <gasps> like sliced in the oh side of me God. and the other arm had just turned into a big massive blister and I couldn't understand what happened to my arms. So I was literally in the car, fascinated with my arms going. Obviously, I was in shock. But at the yeah. time, I didn't know. And I was like, what happened here? Like, I was just checking myself out. And then I was like, oh, I really need to get out of the car. Yeah. So one of the guys ran out and tried to get me out. Uh, anyway, they, it turned into a scam. They walked off down the motorway. There was like um, incredible stuff um, happened. A lovely couple, English couple, pulled um, in and actually helped me. Um, until the ambulance came but what was funny is when I got to the hospital like they were not going to let me check out without somebody and like they were like, oh, looking to yeah looking at you I had literally just moved in with someone a couple of days beforehand so god love her this is like 12 o'clock on the bank holiday <laughs> Sunday I'm like in the house like two days maybe before the long weekend that I'd gone away and I was like the only person I know is this person what am I going to do I don't know anybody else here so was she your flatmate for very long after the <laughs> <laughs> She is an angel. I'm actually meeting her next week. Yeah, we're still friends. I lived with her for many years afterwards. God love her. Um, but she, I rang and I was like, oh, can you come and get me? And come and like, she, she's like, I'm on my way. But what was really funny is she brought her brother. They had been at family dinner. And her brother was like, oh, I'll come. And I haven't met him. And I was like, I had me dose on morphine because I'd like broken my arm. And 
cracked all my ribs and everything. He was sitting there and she was going out because they weren't seeing me quick enough. So in fairness, she took charge. She was absolutely incredible. She was like going out to the doctors going, oh my God, she needs help. You need to talk to her. And I was like looking at her brother and I was like, I feel like I know you. And he was like smiling at me and I was like absolutely high as a kite. And I kept going, definitely know you. How would I know you though? Because I don't live here and I was rattling on for ages. And then he said, oh, I'm actually an actor. And I was like, oh, have I seen you in anything? It turned out he was the, he plays the gay um, friend and Bridget Jones. Oh, wow, okay. And yeah. I was fascinated and I just absolutely mortified myself. Mind that, things. Oh my God, I, I actually probably dreamt the next day when I woke up. And here was me covered in a cast, like I was bumps and bruises and cuts and plasters. But that was my um, crash course into London. There <laughs> <laughs> you go, we came in with this storm. Welcome to London. <laughs> I mean, I never do things easily. I always have to go in deep, like, have a great story. Oh, I mean, nearly kill yourself in the car and, you know, oh, wow. has to be a scam. And then when I meet celebrity again, when I'm in the yeah, yeah, yeah. make a great um, impression on my new husband. I mean, look, I hit, I hit ticked all the boxes in one go. I mean, you're still friends, or, or we, you say you are. We may need to interview <laughs> your friend yeah, yeah. and find out what she thinks. <laughs> Your friendship will survive anything I mean, now, yes, basically. Yes, yeah. it will. I yeah. mean, especially as around in the cast centre about six, you say, eight weeks. Oh, my God. Did you have to brush your teeth here? They had to do a lot of help for me. Yeah, I had to go around with a bag on my hands trying to shout. I was not the most. <laughs> not the best. My Everything with the child. Cast up to my shoulder, really. Yeah, I did a good job. Good job. I always do a good job. Wow. All in, I think. All in. So, interestingly, I actually have a poopy moment that kind of combines a little bit of both of your what? stories. No. So, I'm selecting that one this week. Okay. Many years ago, I worked for a property developer. We had a Dubai office, and we're developing properties in Dubai as well as here in London. And after about a year of working there, I got sent on my first work trip to Dubai. So all excited and a bit scared because I didn't really know what it was like. I didn't know if it was as modern as it turned out to be or if it was more kind of like Saudi. So, you know, it was a little bit like, I don't, I don't know how I'm supposed to behave. What shall I wear? Mm. What do I do? Am Where I supposed to wear an abaya? <laughs> yeah. What am I supposed all to do? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a abaya story that I might tell in another episode. But anyway, I turned up um, to Dubai, got lost on my first uh, arrival, as you normally do, because the taxi drivers don't know everywhere. They know all the main areas. But if you're a tourist and you don't really know where you're meant to go and they don't know where you're meant to go and the roads are, there's kind of like three, four very big motorway-ish roads and if you miss one turning you basically drive around the whole of Dubai to get back to where you started essentially. Wow. Yeah, there's, there's, it's really like once you get lost you're just going around in a massive <laughs> circles basically. Anyway, so a week into my work trip and I start to get a bit of a toothache and I'm supposed to be there for another two, three weeks so I thought okay I'll wait a few days, hopefully it'll go away. And it went to the pharmacist bought whatever they suggested, spraying it constantly in my mouth and stuff. But the toothache was getting worse. So I thought, okay, I've got two choices. Do I just go to a dentist here and find out, you know, if, because this 
feels like it's swelling up, I might be getting a tooth infection, or do I wait another two weeks and hope that this doesn't like get really bad before then? And uh, a friend of mine said, look, Dubai is like obviously very modern, very forward, they've got the best private hospitals, just literally like turn up at a private dentist or, or even some of the hospitals have like a dental department and you know you may you're gonna have to pay because it's private but you'll get like the best dental care so just do it there like why are you gonna wait until you come back so I thought fine so I went to the hospital check myself in they looked at my mouth and they said okay we're gonna have to pull out a couple of your teeth basically mm. and I thought oh my god this is really bad I'm really nervous and the dentist said to me we can do this under like a not a general anesthetic but like a sedative they give you a sedative so you kind of semi pass out if you want you know you just have to pay a little bit more and then it'll take like 20 minutes because because you'll be passed out it'll will be like faster with it mm. and, and then you'll not remember anything when you wake up basically I thought oh my god this is genius why don't they have this in the UK anyway so um I uh I signed up for that turned up the next day and during the whole time my dentist by the way was extremely cute I thought mm, nice but a local so an Emirati guy but uh, I was you know checking him out every now and then and uh, I turn up for my appointment you know he puts the caterpillar or whatever it's called into my hand and injects a little bit of this sedative stuff and the last thing I remember is singing loving you oh my god <laughs> um, you two should get together and I think maybe we should be <laughs> I remember thinking why am I doing this right now um, I'm not sure this is a good idea but at the same time thinking this is the best thing like this is this is the the best thing I could be doing right now I'm just like you know like euphoria I can't really explain wow, it I mean one way to impress a boy yeah exactly <laughs> I mean I think it would be impressive if I wasn't so tone deaf but you know, I think it was probably more more painful for him than, 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 than impressive I think he was thinking no my ears are bleeding please and uh yeah so I basically did the whole loving you thing and sang away <laughs> at this guy and then obviously at some point I must have passed out and then I remember waking up and he had his like little mouth mask thing on right so um and I looked up and I, all I could see were these like green eyes you know because he had green eyes and dark hair <laughs> you say you started singing again and, and I remember like the, the funny thing is like you remember so it's really weird with sedatives because you remember stuff and you kind of know when you're doing it but you have like no control over it it's almost like your common sense is gone so I remember saying I love you, you know? <laughs> and, and things like your, in. your <laughs> eyes are so beautiful and I have no yeah. idea like I was saying all kinds of crazy things to this poor guy and then I passed out again so I have these moments of blackout and I reckon that's probably when he was like okay give her some more <laughs> shut her up you know? like, she's talking too much now <laughs> and then yeah I, I woke up and uh, the nurse was there and she was kind of like okay we, we're gonna keep you here for a little while because you're a bit all over the place from <laughs> <laughs> and I kept saying to her I'm fine I'm fine just put me in the taxi and she was like no you're not fine just sit down you know and I was thinking what's wrong with this woman I'm perfectly fine and she just kept sort of saying okay just you know just calm down you know give, give yourself an hour we're not letting you go anywhere until 
you know, we are 100% sure that you know who you are, basically. <laughs> and um, as time went on and I started to kind of recover a bit more, I was having these moments, you know, when you have a flashback and you're like, did that really happen? <laughs> No, no. Well, I saw him for a follow-up checkup like a week later. And all I know was when I turned up, the nurse was laughing. Like there were a couple of nurses <laughs> laughing. And I'm like, I know they're laughing at me. And then and then we go in and one of the nurses like came in, like his assistant, whatever. And um, and, I, and I said, and I said, I, I actually said, look, I, I'm really sorry. I have these flashbacks. I don't know if I, if I actually did those things or if I dreamt them. But if I did them... I'm sorry, and he went, like, what? And I went, well, whatever I did, <laughs> because I was like, what if I didn't do it? Then I'm not going to tell him. And uh, the nurse just started laughing, and I'm like, I did do them, didn't I? And she was just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. oh, I was so embarrassed. I apologised about, like, 60,000 times. So I think Have he... you been back to the country since, though? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm never See him. I'm surprised I wasn't arrested, to be honest, because I'm pretty sure that you can probably get arrested for stuff like that. Propositioning strangers. Yeah, yeah basically, am. basically. <laughs> telling them you love them and how beautiful their eyes are. I think I made a comment about his butt as well, but I'm not quite sure. Oh my God. Do you know what, though? He's probably delighted. Like, you made his day, darling. You know? I don't know. <laughs> he probably was. He was like, oh my God, thank you for telling me back and I'm really happy about it. Like, that's not a bad day. I don't know. I think he must be, he must have been mortified. But probably, I mean, to also saying that, probably he's had many other people do, you know, some stupid things. Maybe not exactly not that, that, but, you know. I would love to agree with you, but I really don't <laughs> think that. I mean, imagine if I was a guy. That would have been even more awkward, right? That would have been hilarious. Your eyes are so beautiful. <laughs> I mean, he had beautiful eyes, and with his mouth closed, that's all I could I mean, see. That's, so I mean, for me, it's the rendition of the song is the funniest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, loving you. Yeah, 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 loving you in a very you know non-pitched kind of voice. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how it's not the easiest song to sing? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm a bit, I, I wouldn't have the best voice either, but I'm very aware of that. Like, so I'm a group singer. <laughs> I'm Irish, so I always want to give it a go. It's one of those ones when everyone turns the music off, suddenly you can hear yourself, and it's really bad, and you're like, what? It's like coming out of me. I've seen fantastic in the shower. Oh, really? (laughs) I think so. Showers have good acoustic uh, qualities. Yeah, nobody has to hear, so I'm my only critic. I think I'm brilliant. Anyway, great. Well, thank you, ladies, for sharing your poopy moments. That was a lot of fun, as always. So today we have the lovely Nima here with us, which we're very honoured to have, and I'm a little bit intimidated because interviewing, obviously, an award-winning journalist and broadcaster is a bit of a, for little old me who kind of blags her way through these things. <laughs> so a little bit intimidated, but really, really happy that you agreed to join us today. Mm-hmm. And we're really excited. We've read up all about you. Oh we God, know everything. We know team. everything. I'm uh, just like, I have so many questions. Yeah. So many, I want to know it could be fake news, you know. Just it could be, it could be, um, but it was all good stuff. So I don't cool. think so. Yeah, okay, I don't right. think so. I can just say, you know, it's crazy. You started a company. You've got 17 job offers. <laughs> you know, you guys are amazing. What are you talking about? Yeah. 
So we just really want to find out as much about you as possible, your amazing experiences, obviously, as a journalist, but also your most uh, sort of recent endeavours with Finding Nima and the She Strategy. So we have a lot of questions. Mm. Lisa's been actually asking me some of these questions. We were exchanging notes. (laughs) (laughs) We were exchanging notes on what we had, you know, discovered. Um, So uh, I'm actually going to just pass it over to you. Okay. Well, I mean, I'd love to know what it is that you are going to ask because it tells me what has piqued your interest. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So, so yeah, go on. Do you know what I, you know I loved on your questions. bio? And yeah. it was like just one, like one comment that I just loved and it was that you were a proud journalist. And I oh, love that. I love the fact that you said you're a proud journalist because I looked at your bio and I was just fascinated yeah so generalist not journalist yeah generalist exactly yes, yes exactly yes. Yeah, the generalist yes absolutely because so, i love that because yeah. you've done so much and like the scope of what you do is not like i mean you've obviously done like amazing work as a journalist and like you've traveled and like lived abroad and you've been hugely successful but then like i was just completely fascinated with the she strategy because i was reading it and i was like oh i could i this is what i need at the moment yeah. it's having someone to give that insight but um i think it's the one thing me and eva saying we were just like fascinated to know what led you to setting this off and like who are you like targeting it at mm. and like how are you like delivering it mainly because I think we need one oh, yeah I think we're probably gonna <laughs> yeah, yeah. we need it we thank need you it God, like, you, registered. Yes. <laughs> um, you know it's really I, thank you for reminding me that I that that exists the proud generalist I've forgotten oh I love it and uh, you know the, the reason that, that I put that down there is because um often and, I, and I, it'd be interesting to get your take on this. People, they like to know your boundaries. So mm. what do you do? Who are you? How can I relate to you? What's that sort of mm. box I can put you in? Mm. And and I understand that, right? Mm. But there's also something else, which is um, when we're talking about a work situation, for example, which is people think, oh, you can't do this and do that. Mm-hmm. You can't be this and be that. Mm-hmm. Very briefly, I have a master's in medical engineering, for example. Oh, wow. Okay, so I'm very interested in the human condition, mm-hmm. both from a mechanical perspective, so I'm part of mechenge, just because we're all engineers, mm-hmm. kind of thing, but, and um, how the brain works. And that's part of my life's story, and it's part of what has created mm-hmm. she as well, which is brain, brain-based learning and that sort of thing. But also, I've done lots of other things, and the reason I bring this up is because people think, number one, if you are a generalist in your knowledge or interests, then you are a scatterbrain, for mm, example. Yes. It is a detrimental yeah. thing, it's a bad thing. You, you know, you're not to be taken seriously, for example. Mm. And actually, that's utter rubbish. I completely, and this is why I was so fascinated, because actually, I think all of my life, everyone's trying to, everyone's tried to put me in a box. And when I was younger, I used to always say to people, I don't fit in one because I didn't fit in one mm. and I never felt like I did. Like everyone had like a group or if I didn't, I always had friends in different groups and I always did different things and I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do when I was growing up for ages because actually I quite liked a lot of things. I'm and sure it was you were good at a lot of things. I was and I could have gone probably in a lot of different directions. But for me, it was like I didn't see why. And it's one thing I've never had. I never saw barriers as to why mm. I couldn't do something. And I always say, someone I've gone through my life I used to drive my poor family absolutely crazy because I never did things the traditional way. And I'm like Irish, so things are like people like went to college and met people and got married and sat down and had kids. Mm. Very, very young. Yeah. I just didn't, I knew I wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And actually now that I've got kind of got, I've matured in my life, actually I always say I do things the scenic route. That's how I say it. I go the scenic route. 
So I will always get to the end goal that other people have probably gotten to. But I just don't go the standard path. Mm. I do it my way. Mm. But that's why I loved your generous thing, because for me, I find like that people are always trying to categorise. I think people mm. like to know, like, what's your speciality? Mm. How and do you, you don't fit into a... my life? Mm. You know, literally, how do you plug into what I they want mm. to understand? Do, yeah. yeah. And I think it's because it's about people though as well. Sometimes it's about them feeling comfortable. So it's not so much about mm. you and who you are, what you can do. It's about mm. how do I relate to you? Ooh, you don't really do that, that mm. thing, you know. Mm. So it's about them, which again, you can understand people want to be comfortable. But it's just really interesting because people have traditionally thought, oh, scatterbrain or, mm, you know, something, it's been a negative. But in fact, the irony really is that, same with the she strategy, it's brought everything together very nicely. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about that whenever mm -hmm. you want. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm just fascinated by it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, me too. I looked it up. I, I commented on a post that you had put on LinkedIn. Oh, I love this. Yeah. So I can't remember. So excuse me if I word it slightly wrong. Um, but it was about how deep your voice is. Oh, that one. Affects oh, your how that. successful yes. you are, right? Oh, no, I did see that one. Yes. Yes. And, um, and then yes, and then that's what kind of I thought. Oh well, I'll click on that and then see. So uh, that led me to the she strategy and I was uh, really intrigued but we really want to understand a little bit more okay. from you on sort of what it is really. Okay. Uh, in a nutshell the she strategy is keeping women seen heard empowered s-h-e get it <laughs> <laughs> but it's the rest of the sentence is actually more, much more important which is keeping women, women seen heard empowered so they can sustain their version of success and maintain their sanity what do I mean by this I advocate lean in between, mm. right? So what do I mean by that? We go through different phases of life. Sometimes we're leaning into one thing. Uh, mm. Other times it will be something else. Yeah. Sometimes you need to really lean out of stuff and, and so on. So actually life is all about that, that jig between in and out and in, mm. in that space, right? Mm. One. Two, how is it that women fall off a cliff in the pipeline of work at certain points? What do I mean? We're 50% of the population, roughly. More than 50% uh, of graduates are women. Say 50%, for argument's sake, go into the workforce for companies. And then this big pinch point happens. We know about this. We've spoken about this for years. Mid-management. Oof. Where do they go? Now, we don't sort of just go poof into blue smoke and disappear. The women are somewhere. Where are they? Well, they're not in the pipeline, first of all, right? Yeah. They're stuck. They're stuck on the level below if they stay in that job, or they leave. If they leave, they do one of two things. They either go to a different job that perhaps offers them what they need at that mm -hmm. point, or they leave the work environment altogether. Mm -hmm. And it could be temporarily, for a long time, for a short time, whatever. And really, my interest is in why does that happen? But actually, God, we've been talking about that for so long. How do we do something about it? That's what interests me, mm. being practical, pragmatic, blah, blah, blah. So keep that thought in mind, okay? Women don't just vanish, they get stuck. What is it that gets them stuck? When I'm on stage or interviewing people or doing the work that I've done my whole life, I have usually been the only woman or maybe another mm. one somewhere along the line, mm. but actually pretty much the only one. And um, I don't know if you saw this because you spoke of LinkedIn. I, just last week I put out a sort of call to action saying, hey, Make 2020 the year that you raise your profile, yeah. that you lean into your brilliance. Mm. How do you do that? As far as I'm concerned, the she strategy helps. Why? Because 
It's all the tools of the trade that I share with people at the top of their game. Say I'm training somebody in the C-suite or a top executive. These are the things that I do with them, mm. right? So my message is, why am I waiting? Why am I doing this with people at the top? I need to be doing this with people mm. way mm. before them. That's one. How do I reach the many, many women? By enabling uh, an online experience to happen too, but also with creating a community online through mm. the program, right? And in fact, more importantly, is how do we move from talk to action? That's the big thing for me. Mm. So the she strategy is literally, this is what's going on in the space of women. So it's joining up the dots of the PwCs, the McKinsey's, all these big, huge pieces of mm -hmm. research. Everybody, ch well, not everybody, people churn up fantastic thought pieces, and then what? Mm -hmm. Nothing changes. The lack of practical change is a growing criticism against the, the corporate world, and I am doing something about it, basically. Mm -hmm. That's one. Two, it's too late if you wait until somebody's an executive, mm -hmm. right? You need to be given these skills, as far as I'm concerned, at school, at university, mm -hmm. before you graduate, on the cusp of when you graduate, and so on, and then throughout life. Because it's about that pull, the opposing pull, how do I deal with that? How do I sustain my success? What's the point of getting a degree, being great at something, if you can't sustain it every single day? There you go. I absolutely love that. But for me, I think it's so important. I think like me going from my career, I come from a male-dominated industry. So I came from manufacturing and printing. And I was always the only female. And I was very young, so that kind of always made things a lot more interesting. Like I remember, I think I said to Eve before my very first board meeting as a manager, my very first one, I was so excited. And I remember getting around the table and there was like 20 odd men, like under 24, all around the world, smaller world than me. And I'd stand up and present and I was there for like five days. I remember saying to the girls, I said, I remember like halfway through the week messaging and, and saying to my dad, and like, I thought because of the title that people were really smart. Do you know, you assumed they were. And I said, it was my first time realising I actually probably knew more than a lot of the people around that table with me. But having something like the she strategy, I just think is incredible because what I, I think and why we're doing this mm. and why we're looking at Women's Inc. is yeah. really important to us in this women's network is a lot of the time there's nowhere to go to get this advice. There's yep. nobody there to tell you or how to lift you up. And actually, I know in my career, when I've looked back, and it was actually a friend of mine pointed out, I've had great people like help me and support me. And actually, most of them were men. Yeah. Mm. Throughout my career. Yeah. It wasn't women lifting me up, actually. I found, and it was only when my friend pointed it out, it, the women in, in my corporate world didn't actually do mm -hmm. everything the opposite. Whereas with me and my team, I mean, around me, I can't wait to help people. Mm. Like, I want people to be smart. I want the smartest people in my team. I want to yeah. help them. I want to mentor. I want to mm. make sure they're better than me because I didn't have it. So I want to make sure anybody around me, if I can help you, I can help you. It's one of the reasons why you didn't, though, because there were not that many senior women. Because my, yeah. I have the same experience. But then when I look back as to why that is, actually, there were no senior women. So... 
therefore it was up to the the yeah. men to you know make that choice on whether they wanted to lift me or not yeah no i did i did have a few but very little and that's a really good point as well because if you actually look as well in most companies women seem to get to a certain level and there's very few higher up yeah in any industry in any way. industry yeah it doesn't but matter. it's more acute uh, in certain ones like the stem stem based ones. Yeah. and i think yeah. some companies are making a conscious effort and i think actually the tech the tech um, industry is one that does mm. actually go after like female talent and is really kind of mm. practicing from what I can see it's really practicing what they're preaching like trying to get diversity into their organizations but it's going to take a while I think because mm. I don't think there's a huge amount of senior women around even for me like I was saying I'd like like a mentor and things like that but actually I've started looking around my network now and actually I realized that I learn amazing stuff from my peak or like can I just say three things? One, a lot of training exists in terms of things like how to create a brilliant presentation, for example, yes. and the slides should, you know, there's a one, six, six rule, one slide, mm. six lines, six words. My take on this is that's valuable in many ways, but really I'm looking at the step before all that, which is which words are you going to put mm. on the slide? So mm. it's no good saying, hey, don't have so many words, have six words. Okay, mm. how on earth do I find, how do I figure out which of the six words mm. I need? How do I do it? Why is it? How? What? Who? You know, that kind of thing. One. Two, there's been a lot of focus on women at the top in terms of the corporate world wanting to achieve certain quotas, mm. percent, we're going to have 35% by the year, blah, 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 at this point. Well, my comment is this. One, if you're buying in the talent at that level, that's a very different animal machine company to one that has people coming in and staying in the pipeline mm. and rising mm. to the top. That's my interest. My interest is actually not looking at the top anymore because mm. that will look after itself. Mm. It'll, it'll happen by mm. default if we are feeding the pipeline and, and stopping it leaking. Mm. Plus, I know a company within the construction industry, they employ thousands of people, and um, one of the people, heads of talent, was saying to me that they have really looked at the research to do with retention, which is something I'm personally interested in. You know, don't tell me a company had 35% women. I want to know, are they the same women who were there five years ago? Mm. Not just an absolute number, but the trajectory and the, the retention rate, definitely. And he said that if they hire the right people, they have an 80% a higher retention rate compared to the people that they hire in further along mm. the, the ladder. And that's really key, isn't it? Yeah. It tells you the corporate culture and when it comes to women, that is the most important thing really, is the ability to stay yeah. on. I find it fascinating. I mean, I've, I'm going through the interview process for the last um, couple of months and I, I think the whole landscape is completely transformed because I think people are really looking for roles that like nourish them, that they get you know, personal, like, advancement and education and they want to work in an environment that they can thrive in. And I think it's not about package anymore. It's really not. And I even know, like, from what I would have probably looked for five years ago, I have been so strategic. I have done so much homework on companies I probably know more about them than most they know about themselves. Because for me, doing that due diligence and like being in an environment that I feel like that I can thrive in and that the culture matches me and this is all incredibly important. It's been an interesting process going through interviews mm -hmm. with companies because I actually uh, analyse them and it's so incredible that 
some of them are interviewing you, but actually don't realize you're interviewing them back. And as soon as I realized that, I actually had put those processes. That's actually one of the first things in the first module of the shoe strategy, which is it's the big why are you important to your company mm -hmm. and blah, blah. And part of that is, you know, that you have value, a monetary value to a company. They have to spend basically between six months and a year's worth of your salary to find somebody to replace you. And that doesn't count the 28 weeks on average of that person then being optimally productive, mm -hmm. as it were. Yeah. yeah. So you are of value. In other words, it's not just about them retaining you, it's about you retaining mm -hmm. them. It's a two-way yeah. process, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think one of the things, the loss that you were talking about with women specifically in the workplace, one of the things is going off to have babies, obviously. Mm -hmm. And that is something that does seem to be very much, you know, something that affects us and not men. But Claire, my previous co-host in one of the sessions from season one, had pointed out that there are many countries around the world where uh, maternity leave and paternity leave are both kind of put out there. Mm -hmm. So therefore, both sexes are taking... Yeah, they're both taking it. So therefore, when you're being employed, you know, they're not necessarily looking at just the women with that view, because... Essentially, you you're going to lose the men too if yeah. they have kids. Mm, I think that's in the Netherlands so, they do that, and it makes it fair. Exactly. We are exactly. on foot in a lot of countries. Yeah, and that's something I've been asked in interview before. I've been asked. As well. I've been asked if I was planning on having children anytime soon. What would? How did you reply to that? Because, I mean, at the time I was yeah, I was quite confused. Possibly, I mean, I do not remember what I answered. I think I was just shocked, it taken back, because yeah. I was not expecting it. And I was asked, so, you know, were you in a relationship at first? And then I, I thought, are you hitting on me? Like, I didn't understand, <laughs> like, why are you asking me this question? So, really I, so I said, well, I'm engaged. And then he, he uh, said to me, so you'll be looking to get married soon. And I, and I was like, well, eventually but i haven't we haven't like thought about a specific date or anything like Would that you be invited? yeah like <laughs> so why am I, yeah so <laughs> i think at the time i was just really taken back mm. and this was my third or fourth interview round with the same company so i'd already been interviewed by lots of different people and then this was the uh, the managing director of the business and i just I, I think I was just confused and just very like, so I said, I don't, I, well, I'm going to get married at some point, obviously, but I don't know when. Is that a problem? And then he said, so you'll be looking to have kids soon. And I, and I was like, well, that's not something I have actually thought about. So I can't say that mm. I am thinking about that, but Nothing perhaps, yeah, like maybe one day, like, who knows? <laughs> so, um, and the whole experience was confusing and I didn't pick up on it because I was quite young. It's only when you look back on things. Yeah, yeah, I didn't really pick up on it. I just thought, initially I thought, this guy's trying to hit on me, how weird. Then I thought, I really don't know what the hell that was. Um, and then I remember going home and saying to my mum, I have like this really weird question. And she said, what? And I said, first he asked me if I was in a relationship. That's and so mum just kind of went, Okay, and, and then I said, uh, and then he asked me if I was going to get married soon when I said I was engaged, and then he said, so you're going to have kids soon, and then my mother just kind of, you know, went a bit nuts and was like, oh, he's asking you that because he's not going to employ mm -hmm. you if he thinks you're going to go on maternity leave anytime soon, what kind of sexism is that, you know, she was very angry about it. But they wouldn't have asked a man. The no, no. They wouldn't have asked a man no. any of those questions. Yeah. And that, that is the key, though, to... Again, you know, bringing it back to why this 
thing has been created by a creator, this thing called she strategy, because even if the law prohibits something, even if somebody goes through um, some sort of uh, training or whatever, mm. it takes time and a lot of other things to bring about behavior change. Mm. And so really my big message is your, your life happens every day. Mm. You know, our lives happen every day. So are you going to wait for company policy to change, for somebody's behavior to change, for the government to bring things in, or are you going to do something about the stuff that affects mm -hmm. your everyday life, every single day? Mm -hmm. And that's really the big thing. It's not about saying that things are fair or not fair, that that's a totally different conversation. All I'm saying is, you as an individual, it is your power move to know mm. what you are capable of, what you can do to raise your profile, what you can do to figure out what you need to sustain yourself so you're not pulled in all these directions and hit these walls and mm. stuff like that. And that's really what it's all about. It's about drilling it down to a do-it-yourself. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. It's not, are you going to wait? Your day happens, your life happens. Yeah. Are you going to wait for something to happen? Yeah. Do it yourself. That's it. Because these things, in the UK, they did this, uh, I think it was last year, you know, 40% or some figure around that of people who do key interviews, mm. they do not, it's not because they deliberately do it, it's because it is the way it is. It's just front of mind, but in a subconscious way. They don't give women of a certain age mm. the same mm. opportunity and offers as other people because of what you just talked about. Yeah. And yeah. these are people in a country like the UK, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the most shocking, I think. And that's why Women Limited came about, is that mm -hmm. it's the fact that it's in the UK. You know, initially, my interest was, uh, because I started this journey looking into uh, my own family's background and finding out about some of the women in my history, my family history. I mean, some of them came from the Middle East and all sorts of places, and they really had to fight, you know, extra hard to get any kind of be heard in any way. Not only because of the period of time, but obviously locationally, culturally, you know, they were subjected to totally different things. But then when I look at today, here in the UK, you know... You're still being Yeah, it's, it's not yeah. changed as dramatically as yeah. you would think from, you know, God knows when, my great-grandmother's -great mm. time, you know, in Egypt. It's not, nothing mm. that much has changed. I would have expected a much bigger shift. You know, it's interesting because, for example, um, we've had this shift, let's call it that, in terms of we want people to go on training to do with bias or blah, blah, inclusion. Studies show that people who go on, well, first of all, there is no practical change. Let's be really cut to the chase. How much practical, pragmatic daily change comes about or has come about in the last year, two years, whatever, six months in these big corporations? We're still talking about whether there should be a childcare facility close by. I mean, come on. So that's one thing. So really, there is no practical change. Two, there's been studies done on how effective things like the mentoring and the um, diversity and the different workshops. And the icing on the cake for me is that they have been found in some cases to cause extra layers of problems because the people who do these programs have that, I've done this program, I've got the badge, I'm not the mm. problem here. Mm. But their yeah. behaviour still hasn't changed. No, you know, yeah. so it's I was yes, just about to say that. So I've really noticed this as well. And for me, it's like I'm a practical person. So I'm not a big, like I like to look at chat, but like I am more, I want to know, well, what are our takeaways and what are we doing about it? I'm an action person. So even if I have a meeting, I'm like, well, what does this do? Who's doing what? Yeah. I've been sent more surveys and jobs and like stuff come out all the time. And I'm like, we're not practicing what we preach, which mm -hmm. is again comes back to that interview mm -hmm. thing. I don't think people are 
willing to take it anymore though I think everyone's becoming a lot more educated and know what they want from a company and know do what to expect do you think so I say this because you well, maybe you're not talking about me no, I was going to say yeah. not talking about you yeah. you're I an exceptional what, person right I, I know what I, I know what I think is fair and I will always Got guts, though. You know, you're going to go and, and what you're doing is you're interviewing people as well as them interviewing. So it's a two-way street. 100%. But actually, just be you know, take a step back. Most people don't approach a job like that. Mm. They they think I need this job. I need something. I need to pay my monthly wait, whatever mm. that thing is. And so it is very much on that mm. foot. Before coming here, I was talking to an employee of one of the big four, okay, mm-hmm. huge global company. And there is no change. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. there is no change. You know, um, yesterday I put out a thing on LinkedIn that says. It's my note to the corporate world. And um, I have one request at the end. And it just says, dear corporate world, please enable people to do learning and development in your time and on your dime. And the reason I went on about that is because there is this whole thing about, oh, of course we want to upskill and train people and get them to be included mm-hmm. in things, which of course means that the people are more engaged at work and stay on because mm-hmm. retention rates go up. But... Let's say the she strategy, where I've had people from corporations do it. Uh, by the way, they love it when they get through it, but during it, I'm talking about the during it, it's a challenge for them because I ask for them to be given an hour a week during the working mm. week to do this, that's mm. sort of carved out, and for them to be able to do it together, which is the best way that we mm. learn and yeah. create that sense of community, virtually or physically, it doesn't matter really. And um, yes, 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 these women are doing it over the weekend, in the evening, they are pooped. They have other stuff going on or they're doing it during the week and they're so squeezed. And that was what I said. I said, this is created so that women overcome the overwhelm and don't hit the wall. So for me to create something that's adding to that is tragic, actually. But that's what I'm saying. You are an exceptional person. Okay. She's going to follow you home tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be careful. Can I say one last thing about the you said before?